This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This program is where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company, and we discuss all of them from the very beginning to the very end, from the very best to the very worst, and everything in between. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and I run along with my friends the site DisneyFilmProject.com, where we do this exact same thing, only in written form. Uh, talking about the shorts and the films and all the things that the Disney company has produced. Uh, go catch us up there and read about all the shorts and films that we've talked about so far. Uh, but I do not do that alone. I do it in conjunction with the wonderful people that you will meet momentarily on this very show. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is Chief Technical Officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He is a blogger over at TouringPlans.com. He is does work over at OnTheGo and MCO.com. And I believe invented the time-space continuum. Quack, quack, Mr. Kilpatrick. If you want me to quack at you, you're going to have to do a lot better than that. <laughs> How are you doing today? I, I'm doing wonderful, for I am fresh from, from the, the city of, of which has much bearing on the film we are discussing, that being Anaheim, California. Ah, and how was it? It was kind of the most fabulous thing ever. Oh, cool. Had you actually been before? I had been five times before. This was my okay. sixth. Cool. So what made this trip different? Uh, it was the most epic. We stayed for six straight days. Every other trip we've been for like you know, three or four days at a time and done other stuff in the area. But this time we, were, we just stayed at Disneyland for six straight days. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yes. It's very, very, very fun. Very, very fun. Uh, also, whom you can find over at DisneyFilmProject.com is Miss Brianna Alessio. So you can go check out her blogs about the films uh, on that site because she is unable to join us right now. We know you've all been clamoring for Brie to come back, so she will be here soon. So stay tuned for that. Also joining us is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter. She is the fine producer of this program who edits our three-and-a-half-hour ramblings into some semblance of coherence for you to enjoy on your drive to work or you know, treadmill run or whatever it is, whenever you're listening. We hope you're enjoying it. And it's mainly because of her work. So you can find her on Twitter at CherylP3. You can find her also at onthegoandmco.com or at about.me slash CherylP3. How are you this evening, Cheryl? I'm doing good. I always love to hear that. Every time you say it, I'm happy to hear you're doing well. I haven't started ending this week's episode yet, guys. So watch out, oh. watch tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see how so what you're I'm doing then. Yeah, what you're saying is that will change. <laughs> that may change. Yes. Last, last time you were last time you were in California, I was editing, and I was like, hmm, I could say stuff right now. I was like, you know what? He's in California. I'll let him, let him get away with it. So. Yeah, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have known. You could have done whatever you wanted. <laughs> I know. That's a dangerous thing. Todd, keep an eye on her. Oh, every day. <laughs> All right. So this evening we are discussing a film that, believe it or not, is twenty years old, uh, which makes Sorry. which makes me feel old. Makes you feel old. Yes, because I remember this movie when I was young, Gur. Younger. <laughs> we all have that younger thing going on. Um, so, yeah, no, me too. I remember yeah. when I was younger. Actually, I was just um, just off a tri- trip to Disney World. I thought right around when I saw this. So, ah, Well, it is the Mighty Ducks, the Emilio Estevez vehicle about a uh, Bad News Bears-esque hockey team. And, and I say Bad News Bears-esque in that it is almost exactly like the Bad News Bears. 
Yeah, well, it's like uh, a cross between Bad News Bears and Goonies on ice. <laughs> That's a very good description of it. I like that. Goonies on ice. I like it. Yeah. It's fitting. It's fitting. So if you if you go in your Wayback Machine to, to 1992, October of 92 is when this film came out. It was part of this – or started, depending on who you talk to, this bizarre strategy uh, that Disney had of expanding their offerings into sports. So we talked about this a little bit with Angels in the Outfield when they bought the California Angels uh, yes. after, after the movie came out. So similarly, after this movie came out, the Mighty Ducks, they – founded an expansion franchise of the NHL called the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, which was, coincidentally enough, right down the street from Disneyland. Yep. Do you remember how that, that happened. Do you remember the pictures of the building that they had built for the to house the team, too, that it had the big picture of the their duck logo on the side of the building? Yes, which, again, coincidentally enough, was used as the logo for the second movie. Yes, and Crazy. the animated series. Crazy how that happens. <laughs> not really. It's no, not at all. Cor- corporate synergy. <laughs> uh, but it all started here with, with The Mighty Ducks, the first film in the trilogy. Yes, you heard me. The trilogy of Mighty Ducks films. <laughs> well, you know, um, they are considered successes. Uh, they are. They made a lot of money, relatively speaking. I mean, yeah. uh, this this movie was it had a ten million dollar budget and made over fifty million dollars at the box office. That is what you would call a success under any circumstance. Yeah, that's like a, a rousing success would be a yeah more important. Yeah, we're not talking Avengers money, but yeah. more money than John Connor made. How about that? Yeah, I mean, most of the money was uh, spent on Emilio Estevez and shooting on location. I'm pretty sure. It would have have to have been because pretty much everybody in this film was an unknown then and is an unknown now with the possible exception of Joshua Jackson who went on to be Pacey in Dawson's Creek and then is now in Fringe and has done a few movies as well. But the rest of the kids, you'd be hard-pressed to recognize them again. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh... the, only, the only person I would like to say that's recognizable for me is um the – Lane Lane Smith, who plays um, Coach Riley. Well, yes, but he, we're talking about the kids. Uh, he, yeah, that's true. Where do you recognize him from, Cheryl? Murder Shiro. Murder Shiro. You know where I like him from, right? Is he was Perry White on Lois and Clark? Oh, he was. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah. Uh, since we're talking about, let's let's just talk about the actors and actresses and get that all out of the way. Please. We're, we're in the middle of it. Um. This is uh, – outside of the unknown kids, this movie is writhed with B actors. <laughs> yeah. Know, those, those, those guys that other than Emilio Estevez, who was an A-list actor at the time, okay, because the 80s and 90s were his heyday. Um, oh, yeah. He was, he was big at the time. I mean he was uh, – this was at the time of the, the Young Guns movies yes. that he was very, very big in. and Yeah, he was, he was the man. But uh, you know, like like Lane Smith is a B is a B level actor, meaning that he's never had any truly you know major or breakout roles. He is just in a lot of stuff. Um, Joseph Somer, who plays Mister Ducksworth, same thing. Uh, Joss Ackland, who plays Hans, whose name is only Hans. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of and, bizarre. Uh, well, and and then M C Ganey, uh, who plays Lewis, who I. Who is well known for playing big guys or cowboys, but I remember him best as Mr. Friendly or Tom Friendly from Lost. Other than Janine Epper, who did who was a stunt person, so has Dust done a lot of movies we might recognize, like Spider Man. Um, I have two other people that I wanted to mention. One was Brandon Quinton Adams. He did an episode of Quantum Leap. Yeah. He was also um, on Boy Meets World and uh, Moesha, but he's never had big breakout roles. But you know what? You know what he's most well known for presently. What's that? In uh, the Kingdom Hearts game, he voiced the characters uh, Raijin, so he's more well known for that than anything else. And uh, Brandon it played uh, Jesse in the movie. Just so everybody knows who we're talking about when we get there. there you go. 
and Marguerite Moreau um, was in this movie, and she was in our one of our favorite movies of all time, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Yeah, it's it's interesting to note. I mean, Emilio Estevez, like we said, he was he was an A list guy at this point. I mean, he was uh, you know, like I said, he came off the Young Guns movies and and some of those uh, some of those films in the late late eighties, and then from this point forward. Pretty much he did sequels to other movies, and he did movies that not a lot of people saw. He did sequels to this movie, sequels to Stakeout, and yeah, his career didn't didn't exactly take off after this. Well, when you're, tr- when you're Martin Sheen's son, you kind of really don't have to worry about money, I think. <laughs> yeah, Probably I- true. Probably and, true. And let's face it, with the movies that he made in the 80s and just before this, he really that didn't need more money after all that. <laughs> that is also a very good point. Uh, these days he is an ind- he, he makes more – not movies that I would say are independent but have an independent feel. And he's both a writer and a director currently, and he yes. tends to play roles in the movies that he writes and directs. Yep, and so. he shifted shifted almost exclusively to that, and some of them are actually quite good. Yeah. Uh, none of them, which our general audience would be able to go see, but uh, actually, right. um, I have a good quote here from him in an interview in the for the 2010 Oscar tribute to John Hughes. He said that he's never been a guy to that went out there to get publicity on him on himself that he never saw the value in it. So yeah. I kind of think that kind of kind of shows us why he's not really out there and saying I want Mighty Ducks 4 he really doesn't feel like you know he wants to hype Mighty, Mighty Ducks 4 Return of the Old Team and I mean old Sorry. I bet if you took the well, what those kids would be like in their 30s now they could be an NHL yeah. team they could be an NHL team and and we should also note this this film was directed by Stephen Herrick uh, who directed another film that we oh so wonderfully loved the live action 101 Dalmatians oh yes hey that uh, movie he, was not so bad according to whom me oh uh, and he got that gig based off of this he did a string of films for Disney after Mighty Ducks he went from this to Three Musketeers and he did Mr. Holland's Opus and 101 Dalmatians. That were those his those were his films like right in a row. Uh, and much like our our friend Mr. Estevez, he uh, also after this his career sort of devolved a bit <laughs> to the point where his most recent films are things like the Cutting Edge Fire and Ice sequel or Into the Blue Two and things like that. Wow, sounds like he went places. Um, yes, but not places most people would want to go. That's what I meant. Yes. All right, so The Mighty Ducks, uh, in case you couldn't tell, is about a hockey team. It uh, is. The film actually, it is. I know, what shocking. I watching? Sorry. Uh, the film actually opens with Gordon Bombay, the character uh, who would be portrayed by Emilio Estevez. It's sort of intercut with the credits. You're getting a what you would presume is a flashback sequence of him trying to make the uh, penalty shot to win the state championship. Uh, And the coach, uh, who we mentioned, played by Lane Smith, basically tells him right off that if you don't do this, you're a horrible person. That's not the exact words, but that's the idea. (laughs) Yeah, it's um, not a nice guy. No, no. And at first you want to go, like when I was watching it now, like I said, it's been, it's probably been 15 years since I've seen this. Uh, when I was watching it now, I was going, wait, is this guy actually redeemable? Or you know, you know what I mean? Like you're looking at it and you go, hmm, I wonder if this guy's actually okay and we're just like seeing it through the kid's eyes. Or No, no, he's no. just a bad guy. Yeah, no, he's not. Mind you, at this point in time, Gordon, who is the main character, and we'll get in more into that. He's nine years old, and he says that yes. to a nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he really does basically tell the kid that he's worthless if he doesn't make the shot. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's worse than that because he invokes the kid's dead father. 
Yes, he does. You know, movie, it's, it's an intended for kids movie. It's not really intended for adults. I mean, to be fair, it's just not written towards an adult. It's kind of sort of, you know, yes. go cheer on the kids team and kids dig that. That was that, what That's actually saying. a very important point. I'm glad you said that because, because I mean, like we're, we're going to probably poke a little fun at it, but it is definitely intended for kids. And I think kids would really enjoy it too. Yeah. But, but, and that's because, you know, anytime there's, a, and the reason is because anytime in a movie uh, when or television show when there's a team that needs is a going to win something like a championship, kids eat that up. That's why if you notice a lot of Disney Channel films do that a lot. Yep. That's exactly why, because they know it's a formula that works. He, so like we said, he's, he's nine years old, but his team loses. But Gordon is just like you know it 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 eats at him for the rest of his life. That's that's what's go primarily what's going on in this movie. Yeah, that's the primary drive of his character. Because this coach, you know, has driven him to win at all costs. So when we see Gordon as an adult, he's an attorney. He's a defense attorney in Minneapolis. And we see him in a courtroom and he's in in a case where he knows the guy is guilty, but he manages to get him off, you know, basically through a technicality. And he doesn't care. You know, he won. So that's all that matters. Yeah, I I like what he does. He actually – can, he actually convinces the ju- uses the judge's own prior case against the judge to make him rule in his favor. Yeah, I don't even know you know how that necessarily works. I'm not a lawyer. I guess it works. I, I'm going to say yes. I am yeah. also not a lawyer. Yeah, I have no idea to be honest. Yeah, it's it, it's weird because you, he's not a sympathetic character to begin with, and and that's okay because the, you know you realize that he'll be redeemed throughout the movie or otherwise you would quit watching in the first five minutes because he's not a nice guy. Uh, for some reason, after he, he wins, he goes to his boss's office to sort of gloat a little bit, and uh, the boss kind of tells him to tone down the rhetoric a, a, a bit because he gloated in the face of the, the prosecuting attorney as well. Mm-hmm. This then drives Gordon to do something that no one should ever do, which is drive down the street while drinking alcohol. Yeah, I, yes. I we, within right, we, not just having drunk and gotten in the car. He's drinking and driving at the same time. Just so we're clear as to what's going on here, and it, this is what I was going to get at before: is there's a lot of very um, non-kid themes in this movie. So if you do sit down with your kids to watch this, just make—I mean, don't let them just don't put it in and watch, let yes. them just watch it. You need to sit down with your kids when they watch this because they're going to have a lot of questions. Yes, that's just Ab- my that absolutely. That's absolutely right because it's it, there's definitely some adult things going on. I think like Emilio Estevez's whole character arc is very adult. Yes, um, um, one of the, one of the things too back at the firm that we that is uh, hinted at right away is that he hates hockey because he gets offered hockey tickets. Yes, good point. And and he he makes the comment that I hate hockey. Why would I take those? You know so. Here you are going from him. The first scene where you see him as a kid, he loves hockey. He plays. He has this terrible moment, and twenty years later, he hates hockey. Yes, uh, which becomes important because he, of course, gets arrested uh, once he's pulled over for for drinking while in the car, and he gets confronted by his boss, and they manage to plea him, plea bargain him out and sentence him to community service as well as a suspension from his job. But the community service that he gets sentenced to, uh, he ends up serving by coaching the local District 5 Pee Wee hockey team, yes. which in the history of sentencing is probably one of the most unique. Although wait, it's wait. a common gimmick in movies, though. He, he gets his license suspended, right? Yes. He get, he, he's not fired. He gets just a leave of absence from the firm. But he gets to maintain his pay during this leave of absence while he's coaching this team. Correct. That is – that's a sweet deal. Can someone give me that deal? <laughs> well, to be fair, it doesn't last. No, but I mean – but that's because of his, that's his own fault, not uh, – This is a good point. This yeah. is a very good point. Uh, so he he gets a driver. Let's not forget that because he has a suspended license. Right. Uh, a driver which he gets to keep even after he loses all the other stuff, which is bizarre. I wasn't but sure it, if he got to keep him or if the guy just stayed on because he was invested in the team as well. That part was never really clear to me. Yeah, I'm not sure either. 
Because the driver, because first he's, you know, he's there with him that first day on the ice, and then when they're at the games, he's always sitting and cheering in the crowd, and then at one point he's in the, in the team's box, with the as like the assistant coach or something. True. So it, it that's how he that's how the character progresses through the movie. He doesn't have a lot of lines though, except no. for this initial scene. No, the initial scene where they where he the driver picks him up and takes him to the hockey practice. He sees the kids uh, who will become the ducks out on the the ice, uh, which is frozen over a frozen over pond. One would presume, uh, and tells his driver to drive out onto the ice. This is not a good idea. Yeah, I I was trying to figure this out too because this was a mistake on a lake. I don't know why they thought this was a good idea to show, but kids don't drive cars onto ice. That's all no. I gotta say. Don't, in fact, don't do anything Gordon does really for most of the film. It's probably good advice for kids. Yeah. Well, actually, the way he teaches them to play hockey isn't terrible. No, this is true. This is true. He's just—he's not a nice guy, at least for the first portion of the film. No. Not until uh, not until he meets the girl, which happens later. Yeah, which I totally didn't buy, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Well, he, he meets her. He meets her here. Oh, he does. Because, that's right. He does meet because her because he this. goes. He goes and drives onto the ice. He tells the kids to practice. Basically, he doesn't want anything to do with them. He's like, "Go practice. I'll show up for the game. It's all good. We'll move on with life." You know. Uh, the problem being that the kids are, you know, they they don't appreciate this sort of attitude from their coach. They pile into his nice car and you know force him to drive them around the ice. Also not a good idea, kids. Putting more weight in the heavy, heavy car on the fragile ice and having him drive them around, not a good thought. Not yes. something you want to happen. We also learned that their old coach died of a heart attack. Yes, which they're extremely callous about. Yeah. <laughs> the kids are not too nice either at first. No, no, true. Which is how, I mean, back earlier in the movie we skipped over, but we introduced them in a they get introduced to us in a way that implies that they're nice, not nice kids, or they're a little delinquent. Yeah, they're basically like street kids. You know, yeah. like they don't they don't go home after school. They hang out on the street, and uh, in this case, they uh, what Todd's referring to, they end up um, getting a dog to poop in a purse and leave that purse with a dollar hanging out of it and wait to see if somebody will pick it up. Yeah, which he does, and then chases the kids down the street. Kids don't do this. Yeah, don't, don't. There's, we're having to say that a lot for a kids' movie. Yes. This is why I said parents should sit down with their children when they watch this. This is a very good point. Uh, but so the kids are driving around the ice in, in the car when the mom of one of the kids stops them. It's the mom of Charlie. Uh, and she pull, pulls them all out of the car and kind of gives Gordon a, talk, a, stiff, a stern talking to. Uh, but this is their... In in romance writing terms, this is their cute meet. Yes, and this is when they meet, and uh, it's not what you would expect, but you know that they're going to have some sort of relationship throughout the film. Yes, and then they have a game the next day. Yes, which Gordon has to show up to. Uh, he does, and they're playing against his the, old coach. Yes, his old coach. That's the reveal. Yeah. Uh, the coach thinks, of course, that Gordon's there to visit him, but that is not the case. And you know, they get into a little little verbal sparring match yeah, because the old coach is a jerk. Well, yeah, <laughs> we established that he ruined the child's life. It, well, but he's trying to ruin the adult's life too. He rubs he rubs in this 1972 loss where they come and where they have the second place up. All of them are first place except for the year, the yeah. one year. Yeah, he's not very nice. No, he's not. No. No. He's really a horrible person. <laughs> yes. Uh, but they go to – so they go to the game, and the kid, the District 5 kids are in these, like, tacky red sweaters and football helmets. Like, they have no equipment. They have – there's no reason for them to even be there. They get blown out. Uh, the coach has a chance to, like, you know, take his foot off the gas a little bit, and he's like, no, run up the score. And he berates his kids for not beating them by enough. 
Meanwhile, Gordon's over there trying to get his kids to just keep their heads up and not get knocked over, and he can't. Even, they don't even do that. They don't really even listen to him, mainly because they don't respect him. Yeah, and and we get introduced. Well, we see a couple of other characters that are going to play more into this later on in the movie. That's the Fulton character because he sits up in the stands right near uh, the driver guy Lewis. Yep. And uh, Banks is the primary scorer on the Hawks, and he is he is basically scoring all the goals against the the D5 team because they're not the Ducks yet, as we said. So, Correct. And we learned that Charlie's a klutz. So we have this. This is kind of the, the, the end of the first act of the movie, right? Because at this point, Gordon's, Gordon and the team aren't together, and the team doesn't really care what he has to say. They're not you know, they've lost and they're, they're not interested. So he tries one more time with the team and he tries to teach them how to take a dive, basically like fall on the ice, get penalties called against them to get penalty shots and those sorts of things. So they do another game. Uh, and, and that doesn't work out so well for them. Uh, the players don't like it. Uh, the parents don't like it. No, yeah. the parents definitely don't like it. Yeah, none of them, none of them really are comfortable with it, uh, and and so Gordon gets yelled at by Jesse's dad and Jesse's dad. Yes, Rick Springfield actually makes an appearance <laughs> in the movie. No, that's not true. Although it would be cool if he did. It, yeah, it might have helped. Yeah, if he came in and just Rick rolled the movie, that would be cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, that does not happen. No. Uh, so, but Gordon doesn't know what he's but what he's going to do, um, and he he goes to see his old his old friend Hans, whom we know he's an old friend because he's old. He's, he's old, and <laughs> he says he's a friend. Like I don't really know what Han, what purpose Hans has in the movie. He had a sports store, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he is like literally the deus ex machina for certain things in the movie. I think Hans is a surrogate father. Oh, I agree with that. That's true. Yeah, it's That's just sure it was. True. Except you don't really get that feeling because I mean I agree with you, but you don't that you don't feel that because there was nothing before this moment in the movie about this. Well, the after scenes you definitely get it though. Well, yeah, no, no, I agree. I mean, for but. Up until here, it's a hard. It's hard to buy. Other, well, you know, it's 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 hard to go. Okay, I'm doing this the Ebenezer Scrooge type of way. It's hard to be a person and hang up your hat and realize you're failing, and to go admit to your father, your mother, say, "I'm failing here. I need help." And it's a really hard thing to do. And I think that's. And when you just do this in a movie, and I think that's what they're trying to portray it, portray here. I agree with you; they don't portray it the best way, but I do agree. I but that's why I think they're trying to portray is that he's feeling he's feel he's feeling like he's feeling. He you know he's not on a good. He's been on this this downward spiral. Yeah. Like Rudy, for example, type of thing, you know, where you know, it, kid got never lost, and but everyone's like goes chance Rudy in the in the movie. I'm not gonna tell the rest because I don't want to get in trouble for spoilers. Um, but it's kind of that kind of that thing is where you're. He's been on his downward spiral, and he goes looking. He goes back to look. Looked for the person of his father's figure to say, "You know what? I need help." Type of thing. I agree. It wasn't portrayed the best, but that's what the way it was seen to me. I, I guess. I mean, but he doesn't ask for help, right? That's my problem with what you're saying. He does in his way. Is my thing is what I'm saying. Uh, I guess he does. He does it in his own way. Ryan's very quiet. Well, I'm just listening to this whole thing because I, 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 I agree with what – I kind of agree with both of you. Like I agree with what Cheryl's saying. Like this is what he – I think Cheryl gets what they were trying to do with the scene between Hans and, and Gordon. Uh, but I, I agree with you, Todd, that they didn't really pull it off. Like I, I know exa- – I think I can say with pretty co- good confidence that Cheryl's completely correct is that that's what they wanted 
us to feel. I, I agree. I'm just saying there's no emotion in this scene. Well, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't feel like Emilio Estevez has a lot of emotion in the entire movie. Like, I've seen him be good in movies. This is not one of them that I thought he... I thought he just kind of phoned it in, sort of like Gordon trying to be there with the, you know, with the team at the beginning of the movie. I mean, he kind of did that almost the whole movie. Yeah, it's not the shame as sitting behind a log about to be shot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of robs the whole father-son dynamic that he's trying to get there with Hans. Like, I feel like Hans is kind of pouring, pouring a little bit of emotion into it and He's just going, yes, I love Taki, <laughs> you know, and it just, yeah. it kind of falls flat, especially with a character that hasn't been seen up until what, this is 30 minutes in the movie? Uh, yeah, you, you're right. But the, you know, the, the point is, is that what they're trying to drive home is that hockey what, was something that he re- that despite that he says he doesn't like hockey, at his core, he really still likes hockey. And for whatever reason, the Hans guy understands that and says, you know what you really need to kickstart your life again? A pair of skates. Yeah. Which which is not necessarily wrong, right? I mean, like, he's – it's true. He does kind of need to do that. He mm-hmm. needs to get on the ice. He needs to skate. He needs to, you know, reclaim that part of his youth that the coach took away. So the the writing, I think the script and the the writing is correct. The direction and the lack of introduction of this character kind of robs it of the, of what it should be. Yeah, like had Hans been in that flashback at the very beginning, that might have helped this scene tremendously. Yeah, that's true. Or if he had, or if he even if Gordon had gone to him in the beginning of the movie when he found out that he had the team, something like that, you know. Yeah. I think it would have added to it. Yeah. Like, I got this team, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I could buy that. Yeah. I don't know, I really think he needed to fail first. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, he did need to fail. I just, it was weird. The whole construction of it was weird, I guess. I agree agree with you. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I'm not saying it was implemented the best way. Yeah. I think we all wanted better from it. That's that's what we need to take away from this. Uh, Yeah, it's a good idea to just... Poorly executed. Yeah. Yeah. But what what ends up happening then is Gordon realizes that his kids need need better equipment because he gets the new skates and he realizes the kids need the better equipment. And he goes to his boss, Gerald Ducksworth, uh, and asks him to sponsor the team for $15,000 so that they can get um, more equi- better equipment and all that sort of thing. And now he has the time to go you know, teach the kids fundamentals. So he gets them the equipment. He gets them better skates and everything, and then he starts teaching them skills on the ice uh, as opposed to just you know kind of not paying attention to them, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and this is where we get – it's not really a montage sequence like you would see in many sports movies. It's It kind of is because it's cut back and forth between the different drills, but it's him showing all the different drills, including chaining the goalie uh, to the goal because he's scared of the puck. Oh, before we go that far, Todd has some monkey sluice figures for us. Oh, no, no, I was just gonna, I would, no, I was just gonna say that the total cost of what they, what they bought was seven thousand two hundred forty-two dollars and eight cents. So basically, like half the money that they got went to the equipment that they bought, and I'm thinking that's pretty expensive at, for that time frame for the equipment. It just seemed expensive to me. Yeah, that's true. I don't know what hockey equipment costs. I I well, I had played hockey many, 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 many years ago. I don't, I, I don't know. My parents bought it for me, but I don't interesting. Think it was that, I don't think it was that expensive. And what position did you play? Um, honestly, I don't remember because it was that long ago. Okay. I, I didn't like it very much. I didn't play it very long. I most of the reason why I played it, to be honest, was because I practiced at the rink in Long Island where the Islanders did their scrimmages. So I got to see them on the ice while I was practicing. Okay. Because that's how hockey was back then. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, you you can say something that other people can't. 
Yeah. And she got to practice there. So there you go. It was at the uh, Islip Airport. There was a hockey rink. There you go. Now, everyone knows you're famous. No. No? Okay. No. All right. Okay. I was trying to, I was trying to pump you up there, Todd. Oh, no, no. I'm just saying. Right. I honestly don't remember. Like I said, I remember being on the ice and hitting the puck and being hit, but I don't remember much more than that. I think we're going to have to find pictures of this. No. <laughs> So Gordon Gordon basically goes through and teaches the kids how to, you know, skate between the cones, how to do, you know, all sorts of different things. He apologizes to Charlie before this, um, which is a key scene as well, so which we kind of skipped over a little bit, but he goes to Charlie's house to apologize to him and to his mother, which is the point at at which, you know, the whole romance starts sparking between Gordon and Charlie's mom, who I don't even know Charlie's mom's name. Um Mrs. Conway. <laughs> It, it, I'm sure she's named in the movie, but I don't remember it. I don't honestly remember either what her name is. She's um, Casey. Casey, okay. But, okay, so did you buy the romance between the two of them? She's not a good actress. Notice that she's really like not in anything after this movie. I yeah. think she's not a good actress. It's just it's just like they have no chemistry. You know, there's some movies where the romance is not the main plot and that's okay that the the leads don't have a a good chemistry. I can't think of one on the top of my hand, but you know, like an action adventure movie, the two leads don't necessarily have to have all that great a chemistry because you know, they can they can get by with the action, that's what you're there for. The romance is sort of secondary. And it it is in this as well, but it feels almost shoehorned in. So once the kids have learned their skills, though, the, the team is still not complete. So they play a game without the jerseys, uh, and it's Hans that figures out that basically they just have to win a game uh, in order to get into the playoffs. Which seems odd, but we'll go with it. Hockey leagues are usually small enough that that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, after the after they fight to a tie in that game, they then uh, recruit more more folks. They have Tommy and Tammy, the figure skating team, because uh, basically they need people who can skate. And they then Fulton, who is this big kid that's been kind of lurking in the background of the rest of the movie. Uh, and they find out that he and because they're driving down the street, and all of a sudden the hockey puck hits the window of Gordon's car. He goes out and finds the kid, and it turns out the kid is a slap shot specialist. In other words, he can hit a shot really, really hard. Uh, the problem is he's only accurate about one in five times. Roughly, yes. Uh, and when he's not accurate, he's really not accurate. <laughs> which, which happens in the first game he plays and is the best. I, this is when the movie really starts to pick up. Yes, I think that's fair. True. Fair to say, it's right when, right at the point in which they get the jerseys, which makes sense because up until this point they're not the ducks, and then at this point they are the ducks. That's the fundamental thing here. But that first game that they that they do, um, instead of doing using his evil to teach the kids how to fall on the ice and stuff like that, which is what he's doing before this. No, no, he's using his evil to learn how to to teach the kids how to intimidate the other teams, and and he uses Fulton as a good resource for that by having him practice solo. Yes. I, I think that scene is just like like the whole audience is like scared by the kid. As well they should be because pucks are flying into the audience. And breaking the glass. Yes. <laughs> now mind you, at that time it was still real glass, right? And not like the the, the highly super non-breakable stuff that they use these days in hockey. Yeah, the, the plexiglass type stuff. Yeah, well, it's not even like plexiglass anymore. It's like a tempered something with like metal inside, fibers inside of it, and oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. Look at you going all science on us. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. That was my moment. I like it. Yeah, we 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 look we look to educate our audience on this show, and we just did that. So, Gordon manages to get banks from the Hawks onto the team because he threatens the old coach uh, that he will make them lose all of their games by forfeit because he played for the old, for the wrong team. Uh, so Banks gets onto the team. He plays with them as the Cardinals. The rest of the team does not uh, trust Banks because he's a Hawk. Right. 
so they don't pass him the puck. They don't, you know, they don't trust him on the ice, and it's a very tenuous relationship. Uh, but it's not until after the game that uh, Gordon has an issue because the team hears him talking to uh, the old coach and says how they were a bunch of losers. And what Gordon's trying to say is they may have been a bunch of losers, uh, but it doesn't come out that way. The team hears it as him describing them as a bunch of losers, and they basically lose faith in him and just sort of float away from, from, from Gordon. Yet again, for the second time. The kids are pretty foul-mouthed, and it, it goes on throughout the movie, and this is just one of those scenes where at this point he's kind of sort of – he's brought them a win, and they've been listening to him, and he's really been good to them at this point, right? And for them not to trust him because they don't like this one guy who should have been on their team anyway, but his father's a jerk. I think overall there's just a lot of jerkiness in this movie. Yes, there absolutely is. There's, yeah, there's just kind of just weird sort of transitions. You know what I mean? Like it just kind of, there's not a good flow. It doesn't go from scene to scene to scene as well as everyone being jerks, which I think is what you're actually referring to. Uh and their personalities change from scene to scene. They're sort of uneven because the kids and Gordon were like, you know, they were they were in it, they were together, and then the kids were go back to bad habits right after this. You know, all it takes is that one little thing. Yeah, I, I didn't understand it. Like, right, I just don't understand why they were so trusting of him and they were working with him, and now suddenly they're so unwilling to work with him because of the banks thing I don't understand there's there's a lot of so there's a few things that go on in this movie that they never really p- show like like they like they tend to start to kick off a subplot and then the subplot never happens did you notice that no I did not okay so very like Goldberg very early on mentions that his family's moving to Philadelphia Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? All right. Never mentioned again. Never happens. Why is the line in the movie? Okay. Then there's this rivalry between Jesse and Banks that never really plays out until they kind of make friends when he gets beat up. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. Right? But there's no there's – no, there's no good reason for it, right? There's, it's not really well explained. I mean, there's the scene where the Hawks kind of go to rough them up outside of school and stuff like that, and outside of playing on the ice. But that's not really like – I just don't see the impetus. And really up until – at that point, you don't really get the feeling that Jesse is the person who is the most damaged by that. But this scene where, where Banks finally ends up coming into the locker room right, and goes to be on the team – after they forfeit and then they go to the next game, right? They, um, it, it just Jesse is like the most upset and you know calls him the cake eater, which incidentally, by the way, folks, is a real term that they use in uh, Minnesota. I like, did not realize that. Yeah, it's not real. It, it actually refers to people who are from a particular point, uh, part of Minnesota, like the the upper, like the like the Upper East Side, but the version that's in Minneapolis, right? That's what oh, call those okay. people cake eaters because it's where all the rich people come from. So, because they buy their cake and they can eat it too. So, that's the that's why it's cake eater. I've never understood that uh, expression. Why else are you going to buy cake? Um, to smash in people's faces. I guess I don't yes. understand it. Or throw. Could be. Could be. Or uses like a cream pie, right? Like like Fozzie. Yeah, mostly well, so smashing people's faces. Yeah, okay. Preferably not your own, like Fozzie. Indeed. Yes. It is at this point that uh, Gordon is at his low point of the film, of course. He, he has to go to his old boss, Ducksworth, because Ducksworth has made a deal with with Riley, the coach uh, of the Hawks, about keeping Banks. Says Gordon has to drop his complaint in order for this to happen, uh, and he refuses to do it. Because he says, you know, I was supposed to learn about teamwork and fair play, and this is not fair. And Ducksworth basically fires him at that point. Or not basically, he does. He gives him the choice. You know, you can you can stick with the team or you can get fired, and he gets fired. But right. he manages to keep the driver, which we talked about earlier. 
Well, he's got all this money. He was getting paid to coach the team, so you know. Yeah. But so it, I guess it, that's okay. <laughs> right, but at this point, he's he's not got his job. Yes. And he's not got the team, right? Because he was leaving the team. Yeah, right? he, he planned to quit coaching. Right. And uh, and he kind of like goes a little loony in the office, starts quacking at his old boss. Yeah, the quacking thing I don't understand. Right. Meanwhile, the team, who's not a team anymore, right? We don't understand this, right? They're not really a team anymore. Because they were they were split down. Well, it was Fulton and Charlie versus everybody else. Um, they have a fight, and then they start quacking at the principal, and all end up in detention. That's going on while he's in the office. And right. <laughs> I mean, this is what happens. These are the four scenes of the session. He says to Charlie, he's quitted the team. Charlie goes in, and all the kid fights with all the kids, and they all quack at the principal and end up in detention. He goes to Duxworth's office, gets fired. Because he won't let, because he won't let Banks not play on his team, right? Which is yes. what Banks' father wants. Okay, and then um, he goes to see the kids and in the detention and asks if he could be their coach again. And they say okay. Yeah, and they go for it. It's all as good because they, they, they all yeah, quack. and they quack. Of course, <laughs> it's bizarre. Quack. I mean, it's, deals it's, the it's deal. just what we were saying. Yeah, it's just what we were saying earlier. Like it's just sort of kind of veering back and forth between things without a lot of connective tissue. Not that the, any of those four scenes that you talked about are necessarily bad. I think they're all pretty well done. Um, but it, they just don't really flow well together. And I don't know if it's just an editing problem or direction or, or what it is, but just sort of strange to me. It does sound like they were definitely, like you said, miss. There are parts missing, and maybe that was, you know, they, they did cut scenes. That would make a lot more sense to me. That, did, you know, they just had, they had stuff, but, you know, they got rid of it. Could be. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's, uh, it is that time period where they had this thing about making movies that were longer than two hours. Yes, which is no longer a problem after, you know... Avengers, Dark Knight, all those sorts of movies making millions upon millions of dollars. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. It's pretty much the one that started it, so... Avatar. Avatar, yeah. Pretty much all the major movies that make a lot of money these days are like two and a half hours long or more. Because they got a lot of money to make back on those movies. Alright, let's get going. Alright, so... That this gets the trust back together, right? Because they they go back to a game. Banks is on the team in his duck jersey. He scores a crucial goal to win and get them into the playoffs. So they all have kind of come together at that point. And here's where I discovered that Minnesota hockey, apparently in the playoffs of Pee Wee hockey, they have newspapers and play-by-play announcers. (laughs) Yeah, I've... No idea. Um, yeah. Well, what do you expect? It's very exciting. Yeah, it's it's just like the end of like major league. <laughs> I mean, like you see their win on the front of the newspaper, and you see you hear a play by play announcer calling out all the kids' names. I'm like, wow, this is apparently serious stuff in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. Any of our Minnesota listeners, please let us know if this is actually what happens with Pee Wee hockey championships, because that would be fascinating. Yeah, you guys would have a really good time. That's what I gotta say. You know. Yeah, uh, but they make it. They make it past the first game uh, and into the championship game against the Hawks. Um, the Hawks, determined to win the game, uh, basically decide they're going to injure everyone, which becomes a common theme in all the films, from what I've read. Oh wait, wait, wait. we skipped a few things. So don't don't forget that they had their their day at the pro game. Oh yes, this is true. Yeah, they had their little Before party. They go to the, yeah, yeah. So they the team that they meet is the All Stars, which is not the real team. They were they were at a North Stars game, and um, we, we we noted all this before the before we were uh, talking. This is just one thing that we went over. Um, the two players that they meet are Basil McRae and Michael Modano. I have no idea who they are. Sorry, 
but I'm sure somebody does. That's why I mentioned them. Um, the two teams that were playing in that program, which was a real program, they really actually went and filmed at a real live program that wasn't mocked up or anything like that. Um, that was the, at the time they were the Minnesota North Stars versus the Hartford Whalers. That was the game that they were watching. Now those teams are both known as the Dallas Stars and the Carolina Hurricanes, respectively. Um, and both of them, after they changed their names, uh, won the Stanley Cup. The, the location where it's at was the old Met Center in Bloomington. And uh, that was demolished after that movie and is now known as the Mall of America, for people who are familiar. There you go. Yeah. Yes, it was the mall. It, it, I, I could definitely tell the Mall of America, I, having spent much quality time there a few years ago. I basically checked out of my hotel and had to stay in the Mall of America for until like six o'clock at night before <laughs> my flight. It was it was it was fun for the first hour. Anyway. <laughs> yes, but the. So back to the, the the championship game against the Hawks. This is how you knew you knew this movie had to end this way with these two teams playing each other, right? If you didn't know that, you didn't know anything about story construction and writing, uh, or you just haven't watched a lot of movies. But it had to be this way, right? So it's it's Gordon trying to redeem himself against his old coach, and the Hawks have decided again, winning at any cost is the, is the goal. So they are basically trying to hurt anyone who can score against them. And they come out early and take an early 3 nothing lead. Then the Ducks start fighting back, and Banks scores a goal. The Hawks decide to take him out of the game. They basically clobber him, so he can't stay in the game. Okay, um, I, have a, I have a question. Yes. This is, this is where I get fuzzy on hockey, okay, because I like watching hockey, but I don't really like <laughs> paying attention to the rules too much. Um, so they, they knock him out. He has to get a neck brace, and he's carted off by paramedics. And they only give a penalty for two minutes for cross-checking? I, I am not the world's biggest hockey aficionado, but from what I understand, as long as no one dies, you know. Yeah, but I mean, aren't there okay. two-minute and five-minute penalties? Uh, sure. But if know. we advance the scene, we we Bolton throws the one guy into into the players the players are yes team, yes this and is gets kicked out that's right Fault, because the hawks then they body check the girl player Tracy, is that what we Tammy. said her name was? Tammy, okay. They body check her, right? And then so Fulton goes up and throws the guy who is getting into his box anyway into his box, and he gets ejected from the game. Well, I guess the idea is that's a flagrant foul, right? That he just came over and attacked the guy as opposed to the other one happened during the course of play. No, not buying it. I what? think they were paying off some. I think they were paying. Mister Riley was paying off some refs. That well, that I, that I could believe actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is this is like a common thing. Like again, from reading about the the, the future Mighty Ducks films in the trilogy, which just I can't believe that there was a trilogy of these films. Uh, apparently, every time they play another team, the other team, the refs call all the calls in their favor. It's just, it's like a motif throughout all the movies. Okay, I can believe that. So um, then, after f- they have the power play, right? Yes. Riley is upset and thre- threatens his entire team the same way he basically threatened Gordon in the flashback in the beginning of the movie. Yep. Okay, so yeah, no, this guy is just like he's in a pit of hell all his own. He's a horrible person. He really is. Well, he's a he's told you, well, okay. He's been coaching Pee Wee Hockey for all this time. This is my problem with this. This is my one problem. That he's been coaching coaching Pee Wee Hockey all this time, and none of these kids have told their parents the way they're being coached, and then none of these parents have actually spoken up to this guy and tried to get him get him removed, like Charlie's mom would have done for would have done mm-hmm. to Gordon had he continued. Have you ever been to a sports game with parents? I'm yeah, not saying no, I'm say. not, no. I'm just saying we had Jesse's dad, and we had Charlie's mom. Both spoke up to Gordon. Yeah, and we saw that when they when he was being a bad coach when he, when they were. But on the other team, the Hawks are winning. I don't think any of the parents are complaining. I 
I don't know. I I don't know. I think he was being a bad coach. I, who knows? We didn't see their other games, so it's hard to tell. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. I mean, here's the thing, right? Um, an important thing about this at the beginning of the movie is is um, well, not the beginning of the movie, but at the scene in Ducksworth's office, is the three people who are there to get Banks back on the Hawks are Mr. Ducksworth, Riley, Coach Riley, and Banks's dad, right? Um, but they're upset that he's been moved off the Hawks to the Ducks, but really it doesn't seem like Banks himself is all that upset, right? Well, this Banks knew. True, yeah. I think Banks knew. I mean, he must have known. He goes to school with these kids no, and stuff. I, I don't think that was that wasn't the point I was getting at. I think you're right. He he. My my point is that though that in the end, the first thing he says when he gets into the thing is. Is he implies he doesn't care which team he plays for as long as he gets to play hockey, right? Because that's what he says. Is he says, "I don't know, coach. I just want to play hockey," right? When, when everybody else storms out of the room and he tells them to suit up, that's what he says, and that's all he wants to do. I don't think he really cared. My point is, I think Banks knew exactly where he lived and what exactly section he should be playing in. These kids, while they're in fifth grade, are not stupid. And I'm sure they know. That's my point. I don't know. There was redistricting involving hockey. I didn't understand that at all. <laughs> That's like an election. Hey, it happens. You know, people get people get you know they get upset about their hockey districts, you know what I'm saying? That's why they were district five the whole time instead of the ducks until the very middle of of the uh film. Uh but as it turned out you know, it it all comes down to yet another penalty shot. Um, oh, you forgot the flying V. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. So the way that they they come back to, to score the goals is very interesting because we have – first of all, we have Fulton doing his uh, slap shot, right? Well, he does that like, before he gets ejected. Correct. He gets, he gets one in. So my problem with Fulton's slap shot is that he hits it from, I think, about three miles away <laughs> – and then rather than somebody stepping in front of it to stop it, which we've seen, this is kind of the point, right? We saw the goalie being strapped to the goal in order to do this. Uh, everyone just dives out of the way of his slap shot. Yeah, it's – I don't understand it myself. He's – um. well, you know, the puck cam, it's like the arrow cam from the Robin Hood movie, right? That's true. No. In that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense either way? No. So these ducks, right? This team, the Mighty Ducks, they're they're proud to be ducks, right? So their their key killer move is called the flying V, which is, you know, patterned after how ducks fly in the sky. They fly in a V formation, get it? Flying V. So they uh do this on the ice and um they use this to score. You know, it's like driving a wedge to the opponents. I think that's kind of the idea that's going on here. It's okay. It's not great. It takes up all your players on the ice. Really not something you really want to do. No. 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 It's it's very silly. But it works. I mean, they score, so who are we to say? Right? Yeah. You're right. They score. So, before the flying V, right? The um they had 3 points and the goal the the, what they were trying to do was tie up the game to be four four. So uh, the two prior thing, the two prior, three prior points were two would, went to Banks, one went to Fulton, and then the flying V. I'm not even sure who actually scored during that. I'm not sure either. Also, didn't Tammy score as well when they had, or someone scored when Tammy spun? Yes, did she did a, a spin. And oh, I'm sorry, yeah. you're right. So it was Tammy spinning. Banks did one, and Fulton did one. You're right, but. Tammy herself, did she score or did she just spin to distract him? Like trying to remember that. She spun to distract. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and then the final then penalty Fulton scored, of course. Yes, he he did his uh, killer shoot down the thing and kill people scoring. Yes, and everybody runs away from his shot, which is bizarre. But hey, what can you do? Yeah, exactly. But then, yes, the final shot, of course, sets up where Charlie, uh, who's been the one that Gordon has been 
you know, kind of mentoring the most, mainly because he has the hots for his mom, but, you know, still, his intentions are good, uh, is the one who has to make the penalty shot. And Gordon, rather than telling him that his life will be over if he doesn't make the shot, basically tells him to go out there and do his best and have fun, which, of course, leads to Charlie making the shot and the Ducks being the champs. Yep. Because we all know it's about sportsmanship. Don't forget using the triple deke maneuver. Yes. I don't understand what that is. It looked like a lot of skating back and forth and then spinning around the the puck and then shooting it in. Yeah, I don't know what it was either. But it worked. Yeah. That's the important thing. I I agree. We're not covering the other two sequels here, but I wanted to say that there's a couple of things like we mentioned earlier that carry forward into other movies. Uh, One of them is that they're not the ducks for like half the movies in each of the three movies. Yes. Right? In this movie, they're the D5, and then they become the Ducks. In the next movie, they're Team USA, and then they become the du- then they become the Team USA Ducks, I think is what they end up doing. And the last movie, they're some varsity team, and then they become the Ducks. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't know about the last one. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know either. One of the things they do is because Fulton does this crazy slap shot, goes at like a rocket launching or cannonball almost, is one of the teams tries to stop him from doing it initially where they dive at the puck while he's lining up to take his shot, which is actually a really smart way to defend against that. This comes up in one of the other movies, and what they do is they teach Fulton to do, to do better at it and change up his – instead of being a one-trick pony – Right, he gets this other guy, and they become the Bash Brothers. And I kind of find that the second movie I actually enjoy more than I like this movie. Interesting. I haven't seen the second. I, I'm not sure if I've seen the entire second one. I've seen uh, parts of it, but I'll be interested to see that one when we get there. Uh, even even if I didn't necessarily think this was the greatest, I am interested to see how how they uh, get this back together. Yeah. Because you would think it would go with Gordon, right? Because he goes to a minor league hockey tryout at the end of the movie and says that he'd be back to defend their title. But apparently that's not the way they go. It, it's not a necessarily bad movie. It's just, uh, like for me, who is a sports fan and has watched a lot of sports films, it's very reminiscent of almost every other sports movie. Uh, but it's not necessarily as good as those. Um, I mentioned Major League, which again, I believe is an R-rated movie, so be forewarned kids uh it it reminds me a lot of that one and bad news bears and you know lots of different movies like that where a team comes together to uh to to overcome great odds and win i mean that's that's basically every sports movie right Yeah, yeah you're right but all right so uh let's let's rate uh the mighty ducks the first of the trilogy the mighty trilogy uh, I will happily go first and say that uh, I would give this one a two. Uh, again, not to say that it's bad. I think if if you have kids, it's definitely something your kids would enjoy and and definitely laugh at. Uh, the the gags are, are predictable, but still a little bit funny. Uh, but they're they're fun and uh, exciting uh, for kids for sure. But uh, for me as a grown up, wasn't necessarily my favorite. Um, what about you guys, Cheryl? What you think? I think two and a half. I mean, it's definitely what I wouldn't own, but I did like watching it. I did like renting it. Something I would, you know, if I saw it on TV, I'd hit it record just so I could watch it again. It was in a five and under bin. There you go. All right, Todd? It's not a stellar movie. It's a $10 million movie, and it shows. Um, And uh, I, too, feel it's not... I think kids will really enjoy it. I think it's got just that sort of stuff for kids. Um, do not let your kids watch it alone, though, just because there's a lot of foul mouthery going on and stuff like that. Um, so I'm also going to go with two stars. All right. Yeah. So that is our look at the Mighty Ducks. Stay tuned over the next several years, I hope, for the uh, the Mighty Ducks trilogy for Mighty Ducks 2 or 3. We'll get next there eventually. week. Sorry. No, we're not doing Mighty Ducks 2 or 3 next week. Probably what? not this year. Just, what? Just, it, it, that's what we call a tease, Todd. Uh, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, coming a yeah, long right. time now. Just stay tuned, people. 
So until next week, go over to DisneyFilmProject.com and leave a comment on the show notes that you don't want to see Mighty Ducks 2 or 3 anytime soon because you love us and you don't want to put us through that pain. Uh, go over to Facebook and search for Disney Film Project. We are there. And you can leave a comment there. You can also tweet us at DizFilmProject on Twitter and let us know some ideas of films that you would like us to see or any comments or questions you might have. Please just let us know and we will happily uh, respond to those either through the various social media platforms or on the show itself. You never know what we're going to do. So until next time, folks, we'll see you next week. Like the Karate Kid, right? Wax on, wax off. I'm sure this will be a real bonding experience. One day, maybe one of you will write a book about it in jail. I'm insulted by that, Frank. You have no idea how low I can stoop. <laughs>